Uh, there's nothing worse than a joke you have to explain. Dad jokes. Uh, they fall flatter than a pancake. Uh, Ian Smith told me a while ago about a time when he preached at a church in Korea. He preached in English, was translated into Korean. He began his sermon with a short joke. He was hoping to get a chuckle, just to break the ice. As he waited for the translator to finish, as he waited for the laughter, he started to worry because the translator was spending a long time translating his joke. Eventually he finished and immediately everyone erupted in loud, raucous laughter. Ian didn't think the joke was that funny to begin with, so after the talk he asked the translator why it took so long to translate, why everyone laughed so hard. The translator was a little reluctant, but after some encouragement from Ian, uh, he said, it wasn't funny, they wouldn't understand the joke, so I just said, this man has tried to be funny. Please be polite and laugh very hard when I finish this sentence. <laughs> if you're in the know, you'll understand. If you're not, you won't. Uh, the more you try to explain it, the less funny it gets. And it's a little bit like that with the parables that Jesus tells. They're stories with a point, with a deeper meaning. If you understand how they work, you'll get the point. You'll see the connections Jesus makes. Your understanding will grow. But if you don't, no amount of explaining is going to help. The best parable is the one where those who understand work it out on their own, where they listen well, where they ask questions. It's like a good joke that gets the best laugh straight away. If you have to explain it to anyone, it just doesn't work. So, so verse 9, Jesus warns everyone to listen. Put your ears on, he says. He who has ears to hear, which is everyone, let him hear. There's a secret to be revealed. There's a mystery to be unravelled. And it all depends on how you listen. There are those with their ears on. There are those who don't. Jesus warns everyone to make sure they're listening, especially to this first parable. Because this first parable, it's the key to the rest. It's the solution to the rest of the puzzles. Now, that's what Jesus says, verse 13. Have a look at it there. He says, don't you understand this parable? How are you ever going to understand the rest? The whole process of teaching and telling parables is described in this first parable. So if you miss this one, then you're already behind. It's like a maths course. If you miss that first chapter, then you're behind for the rest of the term. You can't catch up if you haven't got the foundations right. So let's look at this parable. It's why Mark puts it there first. Verse 1, just like the last chapter, Jesus is teaching large crowds. There are lots of things he teaches them, and he tells them lots of parables, but here is the crucial one. Verse 3, Jesus begins, listen, put your ears on. A farmer's sowing seed. The seed gets thrown on all sorts of ground. Same seed, different ground. Each type of ground accepts the seed differently. Verse 4, the path. So hard the seed just sat on the top until the birds pecked it up. Never got a chance to grow. Verse 5, the rocky ground. It had some soil. But when the seed sprouted, the, root, the, the roots couldn't grow down very far. They just hit rock. And the plants 
shriveled up. Verse 7, plants that started to grow in the weeds got choked by all the competition. And finally, verse 8, good soil. The seed grew and produced a good crop. And Jesus finishes verse 9, if you've got ears, make sure you hear. And straight away, verse 10, there are some who do. But it's not the crowds who ask. They've given up already. They've wandered off to get something to eat, perhaps. It's the twelve and the others who are around them. The ones who are interested enough to keep searching out the answers. They're the ones who are listening. And how does Jesus answer their question? In verse 11, he says, It's a matter of seeing the secret. He told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. What's this secret? Uh, In English, a secret is something that you're meant to keep hidden. Uh, But the word that's translated secret in the Greek, the emphasis is more on something that used to be hidden, but it's now been revealed. Uh, Like a curtain going up on a stage to finally reveal the show. Or a light that was under a bowl, but now the bowl's been lifted off and light just fills the room. That's what he means by a secret. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God was hidden, but not anymore. The curtain's gone up. The light's been turned on. And the news is the kingdom of God has arrived because the king has arrived. Jesus is the secret of the kingdom. He's been hidden in the past, but now he's been revealed. Revealed at least to those who've got their ears on, to those who are listening. It's not a secret, everybody knows. Jesus goes on to say that the parables are for those who don't listen. The parables are for those who don't listen. Uh, By which he means parables only, parables without explanation. For those in the dark, for those on the outside, they don't get past parables. They're just nice, amusing stories that tickle the ears, that engage the imagination. There's no meaning or depth to them, like a joke that you don't get. They're not that interested in understanding the punchline. The crowds, they hear the story and then they wander away once the entertainment's finished. They're those on the outside, like his own family at the end of the last chapter, who are on the outside, while his true family are sitting around him listening. And in verse 12, Jesus says that it was like that in Isaiah's time. People didn't want to listen to Isaiah when he told them about God, uh, what God wanted. And people are not listening to Jesus. And so he quotes what Isaiah said about his hearers. They may be ever seeing, but not perceiving. Ever hearing, but not understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. They're hearing the words, but they're not getting past the words of the parable to the meaning of the parable. There's nothing spiritual that's connecting with them. They're hearing the the physical words, but it's got no spiritual meaning for them. When people misunderstand parables, when they don't go beneath uh, the depth of them, it says something about them. It doesn't say something about the trickiness of the parable. 
it highlights their spiritual condition, not uh, the clarity or otherwise of the parable. So in that sense, parables are like, they're like a sieve or a filter. They separate those with ears to hear from those without. Jesus tells this story and it separates into two groups, those who are willing to work through it and work beneath it and those who are not. And those who don't hear the words but don't get the understanding. And that's what the parable of the sower is all about. Sowing is the whole process of speaking in parables or, or teaching more generally. Jesus' teaching is like scattering seed and that doesn't change. The seed is not changing even though the reaction to the seed changes. Same words are received differently depending on the person or more specifically t- depending on their ears. What changes is the soil. What changes is how that seed is received. And so it produces different results. And that's why Jesus says if they miss this first parable, then they don't have a key to unlock the others. They don't have a hope to understand the others. Verse 13, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Uh, You see, the whole point of a mystery is that it's meant to be understood. It's not meant to remain hidden. And that's what Jesus says in, down in verse 21. He says, in the same way that a lamp has the nature of giving light. Uh, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? No, you put it on a stand. For whatever is hidden is meant, designed, purposed to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. You see, Jesus and his message is the lamp that's meant, designed to give light. It's against his nature to be under a bowl, to be tricky and sneaky and secretive. He he was hidden in history, but his whole job now is to make himself clear, visible, just like the nature of a a lamp is to shed light. That's how he answers the question that they had back up in verse 10 when they ask him about the parables. What's going on with parables? Parables are not meant to keep people in the dark. They have the effect of doing that, but that's not their purpose. The whole purpose is to enlighten people, for people with ears to hear. To some people, they're confusing and they give up, but for others, the purpose is as they work at them, as they ask questions, as they dig deeper, they get a new understanding, a greater understanding, a spiritual insight into the way God and his kingdom work. That's what Jesus means when he says he is the lamp that gets put on a stand. The purpose is to enlighten. So in verse 14, that's what he does. He enlightens, he shines light on mysteries. Jesus says the farmer sows the word. And different people are the different soils. Verse 15, some people are hard and stubborn. The message just rolls off them like water off a duck's back. Perhaps he's thinking of the Pharisees and the teachers in the last chapter. They thought Jesus was the prince of demons. And Jesus warns them that that sort of attitude is unforgivable. Growing hard to the gospel. Are you hard to the gospel? 
Maybe you've sat in those seats for years and just learned to switch off. Whenever you're challenged to do something about God's offer of salvation, you think about something else. Or maybe you fool yourself that you must be a Christian because you've been around Christians for so long. Have you actually looked at your heart and confessed your sin? Have you accepted Jesus' offer of forgiveness and eternal life and then resolved to spend your life following him? Have you actually done that? Or are you hard to the message? Don't be hard. Don't let that be you. Open your ears. But verse 16, there are others who seem to welcome the message gladly. They seem to be growing. But the problem is there's no depth to them. The message doesn't take deep root in them. And a message can't survive long uh, when it draws on its own internal energy reserves like a seed if it doesn't put down roots into the soil. Jesus explains as soon as life gets tough for this sort of person, they wither and die. They fall away. Uh, Their roots are not deep. They go searching for their answers within their own reserves. They're not putting their roots into God, to the strength that comes when we rely on him. Rocky soil is like that. There's no depth to the relationship. There's no depth to where the, the, the word has taken root. Don't let that be you. Put your ears on. Uh, verse 18, next type of soil. The seed begins to grow well, but pretty soon the stresses of modern life choke. The pressure of the work deadline. The pressure of meeting the mortgage repayment. The pressure of trying to be liked by everybody. The pressure of succeeding in everything you do. The pressure of keeping up appearances. The pressure of constant demands, expectations, tasks. Pressure that could choke the life out of a plant. But notice what happens to this plant. It doesn't die. It doesn't shrivel up. It doesn't fall away. It's unfruitful. It's like the sick mango tree that doesn't produce any fruit year after year. It's not pruned, it's not fertilised, it's not cared for. It survives, it's alive, sort of. But it's a second best type of existence. It's a life of coming second. Does that describe your Christian life? A second best type of experience? Don't be a Christian who's choked into being unfruitful. Put your ears on. So what's the secret to to getting rid of the weeds? How can you keep your garden, your Christian garden, weeded? Where do you buy the spiritual roundup that will enable you not to be unfruitful? Well, I think that's actually the wrong question. I think it's not the weeds that are the problem, but the way you allow those weeds to affect you. Because let's be honest, weeds will always be there. The pressures of life will always be there. It's about how you deal with them. You see, the same sorts of pressures that can choke some people 
don't affect others or they cope with them okay. So I guess the question becomes not how do you get rid of the weeds but how do you deal with the weeds and be fruitful? Well, that's the fourth type of soil, I think. They don't have the problem of weeds choking them or shallow soil that stops deep roots. They produce fruit. They live life richly. Unlike the rocky soil, the word has sunk deep into their lives. These are the ones who sat at Jesus' feet in chapter 3, who got to know what Jesus, uh, who got to know Jesus and what he wanted. You see, for the fruitful plant, the weeds that could choke are put into perspective. For the fruitful plant, they don't let the weeds take hold because Jesus is Lord of all of their life, Lord of the choking weeds, Lord of the pressures and decisions and complications. The healthy, fruitful plant, the Christian whose roots are sunk deep into God, are making that conscious decision uh, to sink their roots into Jesus, to allow him to be the king over every decision. They choose to trust God, the God who designs everything in their life to make them more like Jesus. It puts the weeds into perspective. When you live like that, when you view weeds in that way, choking weeds lose their power. And God begins to produce fruit in these people. In fact, he often uses the weeds to produce the fruit. Often those weeds that can make some people unfruitful, God uses to produce fruit in those who are leaning on God. He uses them as trials and as discipline to grow us, to make us fruitful. It's really our whole reason for being here, isn't it? To bring glory to God by bearing fruit. The fruit of our personal godliness. The fruit of friends and neighbours coming under the influence of the gospel as we live it and speak it. And the key to that sort of good soil, fruitful living, I think is found in the next two parables Jesus talks about from verse 26. Uh, If you keep in mind what he's teaching in those last two parables, I think you're well on the way to being a a fruitful plant, uh, on being good soil, uh, to being able to cope with the choking weeds. Because in these next two parables, Jesus describes what his kingdom is like, what it means to live under God's rule. Uh, The first parable, verse 26, is about a man who sows a crop and it's an interesting description of the, uh, of the agricultural season. He, Jesus says, it grows. It doesn't matter what he does with his time, the crop still grows. It doesn't matter whether he's asleep or awake, the crop grows. It doesn't matter if he's lazy or works hard, the crop grows. He doesn't know how. He can't make it grow faster by worrying about it. He can't make the sun shine any brighter. He can't make the rain fall any heavier by working longer hours or by worrying more. In verse 28, here's the key point, all by itself, the soil produces the grain. Step by step, the crop grows. And when the time's right, it's the harvest. Jesus is saying that his kingdom is about growth. And he's saying that growth 
in some senses, doesn't depend on us. God's kingdom grows by God's means. God's kingdom grows by God's means. If you've been listening to what Jesus is saying, if you've been thinking about what type of soil you are, perhaps if you're uncomfortable with the shallowness of your roots, if you recognise you want to have deeper roots, if you've been feeling the strangling fingers of the worries of the world, then, then this parable encourages you. Listen to what Jesus says about growth, about your growth. Firstly, he says, God is growing in you slow and steady. Sometimes we're hard-pressed to see any change in our lives, our attitudes from one week to the next. But if we look at how we've changed from one year to the next, often we can see growth. So be encouraged. God's growth in you is slow and steady. Second, God's growth in you is constant. God doesn't run out of steam. He sticks to the task. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He doesn't give, in the t- he doesn't, uh, give up. Others may throw in the towel, but God doesn't. So be encouraged. Third, God's growth in you is inevitable. A tree might grow slowly, but when it does, it is strong. A tree can rip a concrete driveway or a pipeline to pieces. Your weakness is no barrier to God doing his work, growing in you, producing a crop. It's God's job to grow you. Don't doubt that you'll get there. Be encouraged. Fourthly, God's growth in you has a goal. He's getting you ready for harvest. When Jesus comes back to judge the world, he'll look at you He'll look at every stumble and doubt, every silly word, every foolish decision, every selfish action, every evil motivation, and that's me, and it's you. But God's growth has moved you to that day, to harvest day, to the day when Jesus will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm pleased to see your fruit. It was hard work getting that fruit, but we got there. You're so fruitful. Welcome home. So be patient and hopeful. It's not harvest day yet. But maybe you're struggling to see that far ahead. Maybe you're discouraged at how insignificant you are. Uh, Or maybe how tiny this group of God's people is. How powerless Christianity seems to be in the midst of the world we live in the multicultural, pluralistic, hedonistic, postmodern Australia. Then the parable of the mustard seed, verse 30, is for you. Verse 30, Jesus says, The kingdom of God starts small, but it'll finish big. It starts small, but it'll finish big. Like a tiny mustard seed that becomes the biggest plant in the veggie garden. It's not how you start the race that matters, It's how you finish. And Jesus' kingdom started pretty small, if you think about it. Jesus and a ragtag bunch of 12 misfits. And perhaps you're thinking it seems pretty small and insignificant now. But Jesus promises that it's growing into a huge kingdom. We can be confident in that. It's a perspective that helps us... uh, when we're tempted to be shallow-rooted 
as we learn to live that perspective out, we can grow our roots into Jesus. We can trust him to lead us where he knows best, to make us more like him, because he's growing his kingdom irresistibly. Uh, It's a perspective that helps us weed-choked plants. Uh, The weeds that used to seem important just lose their significance. And we begin to see how God's kingdom is what really matters. God's kingdom that, that seems small is growing bigger, slowly but surely. Jesus is teaching us that God is at work in you. God is at work on you. He's growing you and making you fruitful. But you need to be listening. Are you listening? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, may we be good soil. May we grow our roots deep down into you. When the roots threaten, uh, when the weeds threaten to choke, uh, help us to gain our strength from you. Help us to hear you. Help us to trust you, your purposes in us and in your world. Uh, And we long for that day uh, when the harvest day, uh, when fruit will be inspected and picked and you will welcome your people home. Uh, We pray that you would help us uh, to receive your word, help us to sow your word, that your kingdom would grow uh, as as Jesus has described in uh, in these parables. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.